0: Hello, and welcome to Molding Masculinity, the only podcast not explicitly talking about the looming dangers of World War III. Uh, I'm Tom McFarland. I'm here with Philip Sipe, Um, and we're talking about something explicitly not that because we want to talk about anything else to get that off of our mind, uh, and we're talking about musicals, uh, musical uh, theater, and kind of the... Many ways in which masculinity, uh, and toxic masculinity and homophobia and just so much it's all packed up around that in a knot that is kind of hard to unpack. And that's what we're here to do is to start taking apart this knot to kind of pull some of these threads out and kind of see where they lead. Um... This is one that I think we both have some kind of uh, unique and differing uh, experiences and perspectives on. Uh, I think you have a lot of information and data on, um, and it's something that is a lot. Uh, From my perspective, coming from a rural kind of working class community was always a lot like getting into musical theater. I was kind of a theater kid for a minute, and I honestly I got out of being a theater kid because of some of the toxic masculinity. was pulling me out of it but um but before we get into that i'm gonna hand the mic over to you (laughs) philip sure yeah so
1: uh it's interesting uh i researched quite a bit for this but it was mostly uh finding a bunch of stuff that wasn't quite what i was looking for um and uh and i mean that in the sense of like um you know it was stuff like um like i'm trying to i was trying to look into like you know uh you know, how many men versus women are in musical theater or are in, you know, various creative endeavors, like ballet and stuff like that. It's actually extraordinarily difficult to find this information, uh, partially because the industries uh, work or the industry works in a certain way where, like, you know, you have a cast, you're filling, like, you have a certain amount of leads, you know, secondary characters, and then your cho- chorus, you know, your cat, your uh, ensemble or whatever um that you know has the balance of a choir in the case of a musical you know like regardless like the the point is like you got like only so many slots and they're already like more or less prefigured on how many men and women are going to be in the cast uh you know um unusual voices like countertenors or um you know um you know, people with different gendered experiences, notwithstanding, like uh, the point is largely that when it gets down to it in the wash, you know, it's pretty well fixed. And so it's really hard to say like, um, you know, how many men are in musical theater in the sense of like trying to do it for real uh, versus how many, you know, like, because it the, the real... The, the percentage you get back is how many uh, male, what's the percentage of characters in musical theater that are male, um, which is a lot easier to find, but also not as helpful to, to understand, like, all the you know, m- men in maybe trying to make it in musical theater or working in that kind of space who aren't getting cast or whatever uh, versus the number of women like that and looking at those disparities and, and what that looks like. Uh, I couldn't find any data on that, Uh, so it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, The closest thing, the most interesting thing I found, statistically speaking, was um, specifically not a men and women difference. It was a men men versus like homosexual men versus heterosexual men difference in that um, it seemed like um, maybe about half of male ballet dancers were gay um which it's an interesting i mean like it, it, that could be pretty far off the mark and still be uh way higher than in uh the percent of population so it's it certainly seen if if that's true there does seem to be a sense in which like men are uh discouraged from going into dancing uh, unless they're gay. And uh, anyway, there, there's uh, basically what the sum is, is we're going to be talking a lot in sort of like a narrative and personal experience access because fundamentally, uh, I couldn't find a whole lot of data doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't find it.
0: Yeah, and, and I think this is one of those kind of situations where we have to kind of be understanding of the limitations of of that type of empirical analysis of something and understanding, and, and this is something that is kind of a more broader broader spectrum thing, in my opinion, of understanding that the known statistics and data of something do not necessarily override somebody's personal experiences. And this is something that often kind of comes up in like left more leftist discussions where somebody will say, well, I've experienced blank. And then somebody else will say, mm, the data shows, though, that that doesn't happen. And it's like, that's not really how data works. Uh, the data can support the prevalence of something happen, but it can't prove a negative it, it and it doesn't like yeah override your experiences and say uh uh-uh, no i saw that only 20 percent of people experienced that so therefore you most likely didn't experience that so stop having that lived experience it doesn't yeah, work yeah, like yeah.
1: that <laughs> yeah some people do do that and you know you always have to remind people that like uh even if the data showed that it happens zero percent of the time uh yeah you you, you hit it on the head and saying like you can't prove a negative like that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen it means that um no instances of it were found to have happened in that particular study uh and maybe all studies and maybe with a sufficient number of those you can you could reasonably jump to the conclusion of uh it doesn't happen uh whatever you were talking about you know but um yeah, certainly like saying something's really unlikely, therefore uh saying you experienced it means that you're it didn't happen because it's unlikely. That's just like not how statistics works. <laughs> but people are bad at statistical thinking in general. I'm bad at it and I know way more than most
0: people. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, I will also attest to being bad at it. Uh and it's so from that uh shifting over into some personal perspective stuff. Um, This was one of those things where, like, I I would definitely say from the perspective I grew up with, I would be historically, I mean, mean, from the perspective of which I was like presented with within my community, surprised at the idea that 50 percent of ballet dancers were straight men um, because (laughs) the perception that was pushed within my community was that, well, if you want to do something like that, you wouldn't like a straight man wouldn't do that. Um, and that was generally the narrative around any type of creative pursuit. Uh, if you were trying to do anything creative, whether that be theater, musicals, even like just trying to start a band, it was seen as something effeminate and, well, if you're a real man, you're going to go out there and get you a job. And it was this like masculinity wrapped around productivity uh for one thing uh that being said creativity is a productiveness you're creating a product that is the product of your creativity um it's, it's just a whole jumble of that that is tumbled up into that um but yeah so it created the situation for me growing up where those types of fields were seen as inherently effeminate not something that somebody who uh identified as masculine would ever pursue and was at many many, many times um, pushed away from pursuing. And so in high school I uh, it was like my junior year of high school, I think it was. I was in a play. it was uh, and I got into this play specifically because uh, the theater teacher at that time was I had a huge crush on. Uh, and which was she was extremely prof I, which I like that wasn't like you know there was no classroom dynamic to that uh it was just me being a teenage boy and uh really appreciating a, a woman who happened to my my teacher who was a professional and never engaged with that in any sort of way. she was like fresh out of college she taught there for one year and then immediately went and moved and lived in China and studied in China which also probably in part, inspired me wanting to be like because it was like when she left to go study in China, me in small town America, me was like, wait, that's a thing you can do. And that followed through with me into college where I was like, oh, there's this thing you can do where you go study in another country. But anyways, I'm getting way off topic. I started uh, I started that theater class purely because I wanted to be in the same classroom with that teacher. And that you know and that was my masculine explanation for why I would bother taking a theater class, and I fucking loved it. I loved acting. We did imp- like we started every single class with an improv session, and it was the most exciting, cool thing to me. Being able to just like fall into the positions of like different characters and do different things, and I just loved every single part of it um and then we did a play i have a hobby dinner issue too then <laughs> <laughs> i've uh,
1: mentioned before my love of dungeons and dragons but yeah
0: um but yeah we did a play i uh, followed through that i finished that play that school year fucking loved it, it was what, easily my best memory of high school was doing that play um then she left went to china we got a new um theater instructor who was very dismissive of men being in theater and also a very uh, traditionalist, like she made a big deal that we were only going to be doing Shakespeare and that any kind of contemporary or modern theater was not true theater. And um, hold on. I just want to be clear because I have to point this out as you're
1: in the middle of telling it. Uh, you had a teacher who I want to juxtapose these two things who only wanted to do Shakespeare and like as like as a tradition thing and thought it was ridiculous for men to be in theater. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You mean Shakespeare famously the period where only men could be in theater and
0: boys played all the girl parts. Yes. This brings us directly into our first (laughs) massive contradiction of this narrative that exists so prevalently. But yes, yes. All of that.
1: Like I don't know a whole lot about like that. Like I'm, I'm it's, like that's not the period of history that I've ever like really dived deep into. Uh, but you know, like I, I certainly had the impression that it was pretty well known. Like if if you ask people like what's a fact you know about like old Shakespearean theater productions, like I could almost guarantee you like a pretty significant portion of them are going to be like, oh yeah, only boys could do it. And the, and the young boys played all the girl parts.
0: Y- yes. Uh, yes. All of
1: that. So I'm, I'm just like, I don't understand how that person could not immediately just be like, what? <laughs> Hold on.
0: And I mean, and there's layers to unpack about the wildness of this. I mean, one being that Shakespeare was not considered high theater during his time. And so people oh, who yeah. only like high theater, putting Shakespeare on a pedestal is kind of funny, but, um, and, and so the, and then, so following through with that, she hated improv. We were no longer allowed to do improv in her class because improv wasn't real acting. Uh, you know, all of that. <laughs> wow. Um, I noped out of that class. Like I dropped out like two weeks in, or I don't, I, however, you know, I, I dropped out early into the semester and, uh, that was kind of the beginning of my, uh, fucking off for the rest of high school and not doing high school. And Uh, yeah, that was my brief high school foray into theater and how it, uh, shifted directions in a way that completely burnt me. And part of that was shaped around this idea of like, you know, and I remember when I got out, like all of the other dudes I knew being like, yeah, why were you in fucking theater? Anyways, that was kind of a G word that we used a lot during the 1990s. And, uh, which, that right there, I think actually is something I should importantly frame into this, was that, uh, uh, we were real heavy with the homophobic slurs in the 90s and 2000s, and, oh boy, were there a lot targeted towards absolutely anybody in a creative arts program. Like, whether you were in band, whether you were in theater, or whether you were in art, no matter what you were doing, you got the, uh, the, the slurs thrown at you, and yeah, all of that just kind of bricked together into this thing that was like, well, that's a thing that boys and men can't do. And, uh, thankfully college broke me of that, but yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. My experience is, is
1: different in that, like I was raised, um, in an environment that was, um, very heavily informed by a very different kind of, uh, masculinity. One, that was um, very much um, the play, like that lady who you're talking about, who had like such strong opinions about Shakespeare and the classics and what was technically real acting and what really counted. And this like gatekeepy sort of um, <clears throat> attitude um, was much more like the environment that I grew up in. Um, like it wasn't uh Like certainly there was like i experienced some very uh like i showed a little bit interest in ballet at one point um as a younger like as a kid and that was shut down very quickly (laughs) uh mostly due to concerns on how my the the like i was raised conservative but like in my family like they were like the liberal conservatives if that makes sense like they were the slightly like more open-minded like a little bit more flexible sort of like oh it's not quite as locked down as that um and so like um you know it was shut down largely on the grounds like oh i don't want to have to deal with how like your uncle's going to react to this you know to the to finding out that you're in the middle of doing ballet or whatever so like that was kind of a justifying thing but you know but there was still this sense that I grew up with that like oh no like it's not like music is like a sort of like high cultural art form that like you know of course like I mean think of all the famous composers they're all men you know is like um this kind of um thing of um that I think is like kind of this like expression of of wealth and position you know uh but the point, point being like, uh, you know, I think this is the difference between like me being raised in kind of like maybe like a more like a lower middle class to upper middle class. Like it was start we started off definitely lower middle class uh, and went to sort of like upper middle as I got more in my teenage years. Um, but, you know, from that perspective, it was a lot more like um, permitted to be into sort of creative things uh, and and doing certain things. My mom is a huge fan of like musical theater, uh, really loves Andrew Lidweber, Um, you know, so like I grew up, you know, singing musicals <laughs> uh, and not just the Disney ones, you know, like uh, uh, my mom uh, worked for a long time uh, in uh, an opera company, she would like uh, do roles there uh you know a lot of like gilbert and sullivan type operettas and uh, occasionally like the actual like uh full-on like multi-act you know classical opera and stuff like that so like i would get carter around with her to rehearsals and like uh eventually i myself participated in a few of those like uh i even did the lead in in uh one uh gilbert and sullivan opera anyway uh point being like um, I kind of grew up in an environment where it was like not only accepted, but at some level encouraged. Um, but I still think that there is, there was this sense of, um, having to defend myself from potential, um, you know, um, accusations of being in, uh, you know, a, a, a for lack of a better term like a wussy field like like you're you're in like a you know they say like a gay field or whatever like you know like those kind of derogatory sort of like uh things that got thrown around um and there was the very much a sense of oh well you know you go into it and like you know i mean that was that's just it i mean you can't even tell based on how i described it in the first place like one of the first things that I equip you with is a set of defenses against that. Uh, you should know like, Oh, look at all, you know, this is a a place where many men have had success and, you know, all the famous composers are men and all, you know, all these things that are like all defenses that you are prepared with for when someone comes in, it's like, Oh, you do music, like a gay dude. And you're like, Oh no, no, no. Well, hold on. You know, like, uh, look at, uh, look at, you know, all these like white <laughs> successful, Uh, men who did all this great music that everyone kind of accepts as part of like the cultural hegemony that's like this music is good and correct and the best and um, you get to kind of defend yourself with that Um, and so it it, yeah so for me it was like accepted uh, but you had to be equipped with the appropriate defenses against the inevitable like cultural at the inevitable cultural um, pushback of like this isn't really for men until you get good enough that you're exceptional and then once you're exceptional it's like oh well like men can do anything if they're exceptional at it <laughs> uh, i
0: mean and, and yeah and i mean and that yeah. falls through with other fields like you know men can't cook at home but you're allowed to be a chef um and, and i think one of the things that i I think might have been a trigger for what a trigger of the difference that existed between our two kind of uh experiences with it was that like in my instance uh the teacher being and how i i i I shouldn't speak to what her motivations were to it but she approached men within the class from a perspective that they were only in the class because there were a lot of other women in the class and that we were, you know, we were just taking this class to hook up with girls, so she didn't want boys in her class distracting the girls, uh, and and that was, like, the attitude. And Which it's is like
1: really we... funny, because, like, like I said, she seems like the kind of person who would be coming from my background right and importantly that is one of the defenses they equip you with to protect yourself from like accusations of, like homosexuality like, oh yeah you think i'm gay well let me tell you buddy i'm in an area that's completely female dominated and i'm like the only straight guy in like 50 miles you think i'm drowning women which was like never actually true like um but they didn't know <laughs> and it was the thing that you could say like and I'll say at at times there was an element of truth that there you there there were a lot of time a lot there were occasional times where like the male to female ratio is like very lopsided and there were a lot of girls but like you're also all there to like do a thing like do a dance do a performance do a thing like people aren't and and the age age disparities can be like all over the place like I was in like theater performances as a teenager acting alongside like. 38 year old girls like these are not like environments for romance and hookups and stuff like that and if they are they're like exploitative and like you know wrong (laughs) um so like the it's interesting hearing you say that as She's now taking a defense that is a made up defense for men to protect themselves from unfair accusations from other men. And then using that as a justification for pushing men out of the space, which is really interesting how like this is like very much like a snake eating its own tail sort of thing going on here.
0: 100%. And then taking a little bit of a step back and, and, and combining something with something else I said, the, you know, the talking about how men aren't allowed to do the thing until they're exceptional um, I think is an element of what I was talking about earlier about the need for something for everything you do to be productive productive for capitalism um, and and like so like in my school the perspective was that as a man if you are engaging with something that is not going to be productive or viewed as productive within the community so essentially the arts any type of creative arts. Um, you're wasting your time, and you're not being productive. You need to focus your time on things that are seen as capitalistically productive. So you need to learn how to weld. You need to be taking FFA, or you know, courses like be an FFA. You need to be taking uh, courses in and and ag tech. You need to be, uh, you know, taking math classes. You need to be learning how to program. You need to be doing all of these other things that are seen as masculine that make you quote a provider. Uh, for your family which also fuels into some patriarchal notions where like it's okay for women to take those classes though because they don't need to spend their whole life being productive because it's okay for them to stay at home as long you know like it's it's this like you know patriarchal yeah, framework the, with or... the
1: asterisk of like as long as they're uh not being productive with children you know what i mean like yes uh if they're if the in that particular model uh their, their productivity is hidden and in fact framed not as productivity even though it is which is the raising of children uh being a kind of work where uh that is not only uh not only is it a kind of work unless it's an essential kind of work because um if no one raises and trains the next generation of workers works for the capitalists you know it's like uh but if they frame it as work then you gotta start talking about like well how much is this work worth like what should they be paid what's their wages and it's like oh no 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 no, don't do that like this is all being done for free please stop talking about it you know it's not work it's uh you know it's just family it's
0: you know it's which is exactly why you see the barrier that it, it exists between cooks and chefs where men once they become productive uh, men are allowed to become productive chefs but women do learning and practicing and doing the exact same shit as home cooks is seen as like you know, like in the same way. Uh, so like my dad was uh, a cook and a chef when I was a kid. And uh, I wanted to be kind of like that, and so in high school I also took a home. T- uh, it was homemaking because homemaking was the only class we had that involved cooking, and I took that, and then was immediately kind of pushed, well, actively pushed out by my teacher there because of the same reason of like, well, you're just here to pick up women. Men don't cook. That's what your wife should do. Uh, we don't need to teach you that. And it's like, what? But my dad's a cook. It's like, well, that's different. I'm like it, it literally isn't. I'll say that now as a trained professional in the kitchen the cooking you do at home and the cooking you do in a restaurant aside from there being some different maths and some different things involving the the scale is the same shit and it is just as worthy of labor at home as it is in the workforce yeah
1: well and that's that's sort of the 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 interesting thing is like when you look at these kind of like gendered expectations of certain fields and certain types of activities you get into like if you start really looking at it you get into some like very strange arrangements like cooking is actually a really good example because like um, men can't aren't supposed to be like aren't supposed to be cooks until they're chefs but how' did you get to be a chef <laughs> like you had to you didn't go from not cooking at all to be like a cooking genius you learned how to do it and you practiced. I mean, but we don't sh- talk about that.
0: Some chefs like, kind of do. And that's why we have a lot of bad chefs. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure. But like the. So the interesting
1: thing is like men have to be in this space where we. If we're interested in something that's got this stigma attached to it, it's like, OK, now you got to hide it until you're so good that everyone's going to like, oh, you're like a chef. You're like, good. You're good at cooking, like really good. Oh, yeah, yeah. OK, well, that's acceptable. Like and interestingly, on the flip side of this women have the opposite version of the problem, which is that they're allowed to be cooks. They're allowed to like be learning, to have done a couple recipes, to have mastered some, to have like a sort of little little repertoire. But like, if they become exceptional, there's this sense of like, you're not supposed to be that good
0: you're not allowed uh, to make money doing this you're not allowed okay. to get respect from this and you're not allowed you, to have a leadership role from this and you could even see
1: it if you like pay attention like i mean like i don't know like food network is probably still on right like i don't have a cable <laughs> subscription anymore not but like
0: zoom s- for the sake of the podcast yeah yeah like if you look at exists. a bunch of cooking
1: shows <laughs> like look at like celebrity cooking right and you can see it right there you've got the celebrity chefs of like um, Gordon Ramsay, and um, what's that one guy He's like the iron chef guy, the Bobby Flay. Right. And like uh, a bunch of these guys who are like, what is their thing? They're except their chefs they are exceptionally good. And they have like five-star restaurants and like, so productive, so amazing. And like the women are what here's, here's three easy meals you can cook at home. Here's like a way to whip up a family-sized great breakfast in five minutes. It's like, there, like you can see it right there. The women who are these are like chefs that are just as good as any of the male chefs, but they're like pigeonholed into this like, oh, you have to be, like, your your content has to be about like you know, homemaking and cooking. In a like home kitchen sort of way, but like if a like woman starts being like, here's my five star mission, like how like you just don't see it, you know what I mean? Like I'm not saying they don't exist. I don't know the numbers on that, but like certainly like there's the sense in which like I can as just like a random dude name several famous male celebrity chefs. I can name zero famous female celebrity chefs, but I can name you. Off the top of my head, at least two or three celebrity cooks that like do this kind of uh, like female celebrity cooks that do this kind of thing, like Rachel Ray, or ah, uh, um, uh, and her name just slipped my mind, but she was like she did a bunch of like Italian stuff. I, mean, I think
0: Julia Childs I, was huge, in Julia, Julia Childs, Childs yeah, Julia Childs example. went through a huge struggle with this. Just, just try, she, you know, because she is a, um, a a a trained chef. Um, and became one at a time where women were not allowed to, like, do that, and it was a huge struggle that she went through. And and so according to the what I find hilariously named National Restaurant Association, the NRA, uh, 80% of, <laughs> uh, of professional chefs are men.
1: <laughs> right. So, like, it's very, very weird, like, uh, that, like, we've set ourselves up to make this. We, we have somehow set ourselves up for in one of the most fundamentally human things the making of food to eat something that humans have definitely been one one thing that you can absolutely say humans have definitely been doing for thousands and thousands of years is cooking and making and preparing food (laughs) like in one of possibly the oldest human profession we have managed to contort ourselves into a place where uh no one can be happy do, being good at a thing because like men have to suffer through, get through uh, not being allowed to be doing it at all until they are exceptional, which most people don't get to. So most men stop at a level where like uh, they only bring it out and like some sort of like a romantic thing. It's like, they like prepare a romantic dinner and they're like, you can cook. And they're like, Oh yeah, I actually took some classes. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, or uh women you know get to um get to do it but like aren't allowed to ever be successful at it so it's like somehow like
0: we've put ourselves into this position where everyone's unhappy with the result which is just ridiculous it really is it really is and i and i think that's it's an excellent analog for exactly what happens in uh creative arts and in all creative arts um I know. So my initial degree was in media production, which is also how I got into doing this. Um, And I started media production doing film and video from film and video. Well, actually, no, that's a lie. I started uh, media production doing audio engineering. And then I got a wonky year. Uh, I have tinnitus from uh, things in my like things I did. I have tinnitus. And uh, from that, I went into film and video. And then I ended up a photographer. Um, Just so listeners know.
1: It was hard drugs. We did hard drugs. and, <laughs> nice and nice. I don't actually know that. Uh, I'm just mostly... saying it so that it becomes canon for like on uh, the, in the universe where we managed to actually have like somehow go viral or something. And we have a wiki, then someone's like recording that. Tommy did hard drugs and has tinnitus.
0: <laughs> I I think my other podcast, Handy with Handguns, kind of self-explains my tinnitus.
1: But um <laughs> no, you're not going to get
0: famous for that. That's only going
1: to be for the hardcore fans. Okay.
0: And then... <laughs> <laughs> um. But uh. But yeah. Yeah. No. 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 I mean, like, so in in the course of doing that, you know, that's and that's even kind of. There, there was a really weird dynamic, in my opinion, set up in uh, electronic media production, in in what we called EMP, electronic media production. Uh, That was a lot of the students, uh, and at times it was like it would wildly shift. Of like classes would be all girls, all women, or all men, all boys, and it largely kind of hinged on whether it was perceived as an elect, as like a, as like a almost an IT field or as a artistic field. And then specifically when I would branch into certain elements of that, you would see it kind of shift in that kind of a way. And then specifically when I went into university and I actually took a theater minor, it was like all of a sudden, yeah, there was this huge dynamic of kind of men not doing theater. Um, And it, I don't know, it was endemic. It was everywhere. And a lot of that exact same thing, because it's like, you can, as a woman in this field, you can work incredibly hard and nobody will ever take you seriously but as a man you only get taken seriously if you immediately present yourself as the highest level of professional and so and i think you know like in acting this is extremely uh evident and kind of obvious um we, in looking at, like, masterclasses that are provided by famous, ac- uh, well, famous actors, specifically, almost every kind of masterclass I've ever encountered or looked at was taught by an actor, a, a man, a dude, um, because we don't look at at women, at actresses, as the same level of professionalism as we do as actors, uh, and there's a, just a bunch of layers to that, and then, of course, our whole real core of this episode being a musical theater is just a whole other cannibalts um i so i was uh what kind of brought this whole thing to my mind was a couple of weeks ago i was at hamilton actually in new york i was on broadway i was watching hamilton uh which was the most amazing like ah fucking bonkers it's not important it's a humble brag it's what it's good like i happen to be in new york i happen to be watching hamilton i happen to be on broadway okay it was amazing i'm not bragging (laughs) i'm not trying to stand for hamilton but it was fucking amazing um, but there was a dude sitting, and I mean, like, all right, this was amazing to me. This is like a thing I never expected to be able to do in my life. Um, it was thanks to a gift from my wife, it was incredible, and uh, like, I'm on the brink of like a life moment here. And the dude behind me, uh, who brought his daughters, um, and it was he. You know he came for his daughters and i respect this he came to the show for his daughters and uh he tried he was like going in like i'm gonna try to have a good time but you know i don't really like them you, oh god why am i giving this guy's a hit like a breadneck accent he's <laughs> in new york uh, but he's like i don't really like musicals you know they're these aren't really for men so uh you know i'm just here to watch it and um I was very vindicated by the fact that at the end he ended up saying the very, uh, telling, oh, I liked that more than I thought I would, which is a phrase I've heard so many times from my dad as I've like, you know, exposed him to something that was outside of his, uh, frame, his comfort zone of masculinity of like, you know, watching something like a musical and being like, oh, wow, I liked that more than I thought I would. I didn't realize that as a masculine presenting person, I can enjoy such things. And um, it just, it I don't know, it, it was, it impacted me then to thinking about, like, how much we shut our, like, how much as men acting within the framework of what society lets us do, we shut ourselves off to so many experiences just because they, we don't want to think that they fit within our framework.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, like, I'll say, like, you know, I um, have found this to be true of, um, a lot of things where, you know, I have missed out on some experiences that like, um, you know, once I finally sort of like overcame that hurdle and went into it, went, oh yeah, like, this is awesome. I, why didn't I do this sooner? Like, um, actually like d d is a little bit of a thing for me, which is a weird thing to say, because I've been doing it since I was like 12, but I changed the way I was doing it after over a decade of experience um, to be focused in a very different way. Like for me, for a long time, it was very much about like the board game, role-playing game, character building, like fight the monsters, like type of thing. And I think that's still an important part of the game but there was an aspect of it of like um, the improv, the acting, the characters, the emotional stakes of the story um, that I had been shut off to because like there's this a thing of like, well, you know, you know, I mean, you know, from, from doing a little bit of improv in your acting thing, I'm sure like depending on like, like a lot of improv is comedy. And, um, uh, n- not that I think that comedy is like less, you know, than drama or whatever. Um, so like, I, I want to carefully delineate that because what I'm going to say has the risk of implying that, uh, there is an immense amount of emotional vulnerability that has to go into doing improv drama. <laughs> um, and, uh, D and D as a, as an activity is filled with like tons of like, like really fucked up shit. (laughs) Um, Like if you read like half the monsters in the, in the, you know, monster manual, the book that has the monsters in it and their stats and whatnot, like if you read what they do, it's like really, really fucked up, (laughs) like horror, horror shit. And it's like, you don't go into a universe with this kind of thing with emotional vulnerability and not go oh shit like this is heavy heavy stuff like people died suddenly in a brutal way and you got to process that like uh in the game i just played uh yesterday uh they had a funeral (laughs) a funeral for a character that like i mean the guy who plays it is still there he's playing a different character you know like but like everyone like there is a real feeling of like mourning and sadness and like it was, it's been great. I've really loved it. It's, it's given me the opportunity to experience a whole range of emotional experiences and stuff and and things that um, have even like altered the way I look at certain things. But that whole thing was closed off to me for so long because I had this sense of like, I'm not going to get together with a bunch of my bros and like cry about a dead wizard. Like that's, you know, not not manly or, you know, like... I didn't even necessarily even think about it in explicitly those terms, but there was just this sense I had of like, yeah, I don't want to do that. That's embarrassing. Why is it embarrassing? Oh, you know, uh, we don't think about that. And so I, I identify with that a lot in that, like I have uh, always benefited by going ahead and, and trying things that are, that I, that, I've been interested in, but have been closed off to me uh, due to some sort of like mental roadblock, uh, often related to you know not wanting to look weak or look feminine or like gay or whatever. Like, uh, and I think sometimes uh, this gets internalized in a different way for me as someone who exists a lot on like the left space where. Uh, <laughs> you end up in the same conclusion, but like the justification, justifications are like twisted around. It's like, oh, that's not for me. Like, that's a gay space. I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to like insert myself into like, you know, like to gay stuff, you know, like gays need their own thing. And it's like, are you really doing it? Cause you don't want to insert yourself into a gay space. Like you're, there's one thing to like go into like an, uh, like a, you know, a very explicitly, a a space very explicitly carved for minority a minority of some kind and like go into it and be like i'm here everyone pay attention to me like but it's a different thing to like use that as an excuse for what amounts to internalized
0: misinjury or whatever um uh anyway yeah no i think like a current analog for me with that which isn't of course framed around this it's framed around race but like i uh I, I actually I have a friend who has kind of tried to convince me on multiple times to uh, go to a black barbershop. Um, and I'm like, you know, I appreciate what he where he's coming from, that, you know, he kind of wants me to experience this element of black culture. And like, I, I appreciate that. I'm not comfortable doing that because I feel like that is a space intended for uh, black people, not me. I is a white dude. Don't need to be walking into a space that is a, like their comfort like a, a very cultural like a I mean is he the, black? Yes, yes. Sorry. I should have I, okay. I suppose I should have specified that yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, my friend is black and is inviting I mean, me to if come he came to black with barber you, shops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah I yeah. mean
1: if you're not comfortable with it, obviously, but like I mean if he came with you, it like yeah. surely that gives yeah, you enough. some sort of like, I don't know.
0: Yeah, certainly. And this has been more in the framework of like every time I go to like a white barber, he's like, dude, you need to go to a black barber. And I'm like, no, I I get that. That's cool. But like I'm not trying to intrude on somebody else's space. However, uh, I do go, try to go out of my way to like go to like uh, like last Juneteenth. I went to a Juneteenth celebration. that was like a public celebration. It was like, you know, a whole uh, it was like a whole block on the east side. that was like, you know, just a big giant celebration thing. Like I'm not intruding in a space like, in, like I'm not intruding in a um, what's the word I'm looking for here? A um, when you're having intimate. A... Intimate. Yes. Um, It's not like, you know, it's not an intimate kind of space, like a cultural space. So I'm able to learn and, you know, observe and experience uh, uh, a a cultural experience outside of my own. I think that's super valuable and good and great. Um, But yeah, like, well, in experiencing something that within my own framework, I never would have because of just coming from a rural white community. Um, I think that's super valuable. But it's like, doing that in a way that isn't intruding on the intimacy of a space that kind of is needs to not be intruded upon, but sorry. I was just, yeah, I think it'd be, be very different animal. if he was
1: like, I'll come with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I would certainly feel uncomfortable just going to one. Like if I, you know, if I had a black friend, I was like, no, come on, like, come with me. We'll go get our haircut or whatever. I'd be like, all right, if you're coming with me that's fine.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah no i think that's valid um yeah no 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 i mean yeah and that's uh with a lot of this it's like i and then so stepping back like you know like trying to experience two new things like i've recently learned um that i really fucking love ice skating i've done it twice now only twice in my life um but i've enjoyed it more each time i've done it uh, and i have a friend who is a um a figure skater. And I'm really kind of thinking about like trying to um, hang out with them and like learn better how to skate and maybe get into some like beginner level figure skating stuff, which is definitely a thing that I had a barrier to even before the first time I just went to like a regular like both times I've went ice skating has been like the holiday kind of, oh, it's Christmas. We're going to go and skate in a circle kind of thing. I was super hesitant to do that. A, because growing up, that was kind of weirdly seen as like an effeminate kind of thing. Like, that's the thing you see in holiday movies that women go crazy for. And that's not for men, quote, on you know, all of this with big quotation marks around it. This is not my feeling. This is the society, like the culture I grew up in. Um, and there was also like a wealth element to it. Uh, and a regional element to it. So it was like, oh, that's things that northerners do. Like, we don't have ice rinks, which is actually like a whole, like, I discovered we did. I don't know, that's a whole other thing to unpack. But uh, there was a wealth thing to it. Like, that's like, I don't know, rich people go ice skating. Like, we're poor people in rural southern Missouri. We don't fucking do that. Um, And then I found that, no, it's actually a really enjoyable space. It's something I love doing, and I should fucking do it and not worry about those kind of hangups that I kind of had before it. I think there's value to that. Yeah,
1: for sure. Um, Yeah, I think that this is a a good example of the ways in which, like, um, you know, trying trying to hold up to some sort of, like, you know, masculine, like, ideal is, like, a thing that, like, ends up being harmful to us as a group. Um, You know, like... Cause like frankly like, here's the libertarian me gonna come out again, uh, but like who fucking cares what you do with your time? Like your individual time. Like you wanna go fucking ice skating out? Like go for it. Like you wanna you wanna ballet dance? Please. Like do what you want. Like don't let some like weird hegemonic cultural pressure like convince you of what you do and don't like like uh i actually it's interesting you bring up ice skating because i there was uh obviously i spent too much time on reddit but there was a reddit that i was asking like uh what's the thing that like asking men like what's the thing that you like that um isn't generally socially acceptable for men to do one of the most upvoted things was a guy who talked about like when he was a kid Took ice skating lessons. And he got to the point that he could land a toe loop, which I assume is a single toe loop, as opposed to like the ones you see in the Olympics, which is triple toe loops. I guess I don't know what any of this. Is I just know that they say triple toe loop, and I know in my head that's the one that's worth a lot of points, or whatever, or triple toe axle, or I don't know anyway. Anyway, uh, point is, he landed a toe loop, and he was very excited about it uh that and he got about that far and then he ended up dropping out of it for a variety of reasons i think his family ran out of money or something and now he's like gone on and done something else he's got money of his own and he's like uh like recently said like yeah so like then i'm just you know thought of this and was like you know what i have gained a lot of weight i want to do something to get back in shape and like i have missed this a lot let me go do that and he was so excited when he, he was talking about how excited he was that he finally landed a toe loop again after like 30 years or something like that. And it was like, that's so cool. Like to, like, to me, it was like really, um, you know, inspiring of like this guy who like kind of reconnects with this thing that he has like put on the back burner for, you know, all kinds of things that are like, you know, I'm sure like that, that his hesitancy to get back into it, had something to do with a weird expectation placed on him about like what a man's supposed to do and you're an adult now you know sure as a kid you can do whatever you want but like you know uh I just think all this stuff is like bullshit (laughs) and uh you know a, a lot of the things that have meant the most to me and have been the most fulfilling things for me have been things that um I did despite what people would think um, and ignoring what was expected of me as a man, or, you know, what, you know, anything in that kind of realm. And, you know, I just say, like, frankly, life is too short for you to spend your time letting some high, collective hive mind, concept of what a man is quote unquote supposed to be tell you what to do with your fucking life like uh you know you're not gonna uh you're not gonna live long enough to to, uh make that uh worth uh conforming to so like enjoy what you enjoy I mean like obviously like you know do what you gotta do but like to to survive, to live, to not be bullied. If you, you know, uh are in a toxic space and you know don't have like a good out or whatever. Like I don't begrudge people who are, you know, not doing what they want for you know reasons like that. But like, you know, if you have the freedom to do it and you have the means to do it and you have the ability, like do it. Because like really masculinity is a thing that got made up out of a bunch of stereotypes and If we all stop being those stereotypes, like, we make masculinity
0: whatever we want it to be. (laughs) And uh, we make it by our actions. Agreed. And it, hopefully, if we do it right, benefits everybody and helps everybody enjoy things fully and also be accepted as professionals and the things that they uh, are exceptional at. Um, I think that kind of wraps up everything I have to talk this week on this subject. Uh, anything else you want to add before we uh, leave it be? Nope, I think that's pretty much it for me. Um, it's
1: been interesting. I had, a, I had a little personal revelation in the middle of this conversation, so it's been really um, good um, having this talk, and I hope that other people find value in it.
0: I agree 100%. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, I'm excited. That's what this podcast is about, those personal revelations. Um, So we still don't have a Patreon and we, I don't, I don't want to promise things, but I don't think we ever will have a Patreon, but Red Dirt Collective has a Patreon, and if you're thinking, wow, I'd really like to support that Molding Masculinity podcast, I listen to it all the time, I'd say shelf that. Instead, support red dirt collective on patreon um i'll be posting the link on uh facebook twitter and uh well those are the two places we're at um so yeah Uh,
1: and for those who don't have time or access to that link it's patreon.com slash red dirt collective um very easy to remember
0: I'm very easy to forget things (laughs) but that's fine (laughs) uh, yeah yeah so yeah support Red Dirt Collective Uh, we do mutual aid uh, efforts Uh, cooking for a crowd is a thing that I lead with like teaching uh, folks how to cook for a large number of people and then also like kind of providing some of the kind of infrastructure and things that you need in order to do that in the like um, we 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 uh, do in our mutual aid events we give away groceries uh, we provide uh, A lot of uh, skill, uh, like you know, skill set things like bicycle repair, uh, brake repair, um, uh, hair cutting, uh, all kinds of things like that to folks who are in need of things. Uh, We do uh, uh, giveaways of school supplies when the school year begins. Um, We do tenant organizing. I don't know how much of the Patreon funds and like how I don't I don't know how all of that works. All I know how things work is the food angle. I do, but my point is, it's good organization doing good stuff and we are a part of it and we support it so if you want to support us support that so yeah yeah for sure i uh
1: i uh you know uh, i always feel a little bit weird like it's uh of course i i i support it i (laughs) help start it but um you know uh i do uh we recently got done with one of our mutual aid fairs and just seeing you know several hundred people come by and get um you know not everything that they need uh because we can't possibly fulfill the needs that are created from the way that we arrange our societies um in uh less than optimal ways but um certainly we do what we can to help and to get people engaged with the community so that they can start advocating for their own interests and get those solutions that will will actually solve their problems. So, you know, if you're a fan of organizing um, people in local communities, we're a small group focused on our local community that's trying to do what we can. And if that's the kind of thing you want to support, um, we could use it, you know, it'll go to things like mutual aid fairs and helping people to organize and advocate for themselves uh, in the places where we can. Uh, And the more we have, the more of that we can do. Yep.
0: So thank you all for your support. Thank you all for joining us. Have a wonderful afternoon, morning, evening, or whatever other time of day it is. Thank you.